2: Triathlon is certainly hard on your skin, without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsel, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to
0: triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chammy Cream.
2: Use the code IronWoman at TeamZelios.com for 15% off and use Zelios products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun.
1: And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now.
0: This week, I feel like I don't even need to catch you up on too much because I've been such an influencer today with my Iron Women Instagram takeover that you probably know all about my life so far.
2: I have enjoyed watching your takeover.
0: What do you think about the takeover
2: experience so far? Are you enjoying it or does it feel like a lot of pressure to like have
0: more fun than usual? I am enjoying it, but it is a lot of pressure, but I guess as a competitive athlete, we enjoy putting pressure on ourselves for, you know, unnecessary reasons sometimes, and this is one of them, I feel like, because, but it's a chance to, like, it's a foolproof way to learn something new, try, like, new skills, and I'm not super afraid if I, like, mess up, like, there have been times, I apologize to our listeners, if you're watching a video and it just, like, cuts out on me, it's because I didn't realize that eventually, Instagram stops letting you record these like endless monologues of you showing what's in your refrigerator so when it just cut out I realized that like what I was saying wasn't that important anyway so I was just like whatever I I uploaded it and I was like I guess people just like left with a cliffhanger like maybe that's good you know like there are no rules to social media so I'm just I'm spending the time rewriting them for people. I feel like you're keeping
2: it real like you guys like that you're not trying to make your life look extra special you're like this is my actual life and this is my actual refrigerator and I find it fascinating and Instagram doesn't always and so, I, I think my okay. mom's
0: gonna be pumped I mean there's a picture of me vacuuming a picture of me scrubbing my tub like I legitimately did all these things today because that was the day like they were lined up for so hopefully my mom is watching the Iron Women, Iron Women story today.
2: I'm impressed, even if she isn't. But I do want to go back to last week because we talked about this challenge you were doing. You're running up Jarman's Hill in Charlottesville. It's an iconic hill, and you ran up it one time the first day when I talked to you last week. Then you're going to do two times on Tuesday, three times on Wednesday, all the way up to five times on Friday. I follow you on social media. I kind of know what happened, but how are you feeling about it? And is there anything that you didn't put
0: on social media that you can tell me now? Oh, that's a good, good question. So probably not. I feel like I, I've told a lot of the things, but um, I did. I put it, posted a blog today on my blog at com that has like data. I know people, pe- people love to ask me the data questions. And I, I just like, I'm like, oh, I can't like even keep my head straight. So I actually did spend time thinking this weekend and I like made myself sit down and compile some of the data that people have been asking about, like my nutrition and things like that. And I put it all in a blog post there. So for some people, that's exciting. For some people, that's like, take it or leave it. I get it. Um, but then I'm also going to write a blog this week, Haley, and I can't give too much away for the Smash Fest Queen Diaries. And that'll tell kind of like about the mental side of it and it was more of the why of why I did it and like some of the things I've taken away from doing a self-challenge in this like weird time right now. Right. But overall, I would say that I'll tell you this one thing that I did right in that blog is that one of the best things was that during the whole week it was like this period of time where I just was doing that job right and I wasn't thinking about coronavirus I wasn't thinking about like the news in my ear and all this stuff like I was just trying to accomplish this like feat over the course of a few days that I had set out for myself and I was able to like actually forget about like the things that cause worry and stress and anxiety for a little bit each day and I think like during normal workouts I kind of am able to do that, but it's really hard to like really put it in the back of your head if you're sitting on the trainer and your phone's like right there and you can still scroll through Twitter and see things. Right. So being out there was definitely like a really good mental break. Like it felt like I raced and I had that like refreshing feeling of like accomplishing something and coming out of that. So that was definitely like a high point of it and it was successful like I did I actually ended up surprising myself a little bit with how well I was running through the week in those later stages and I think part of that was because I was sharing it with people and people were like getting excited for me and with me and so I had some friends who like did some random run bys and and ride bys on their bikes while I was out there and things like that so all of that made it just like feel really special in this time when I was like man we might not have like moments like this because of no races for a while so I don't know i really enjoyed it and i thought it was like just the right mix of being nearly too hard but definitely hard enough to like keep me motivated to keep trying and i was able to successfully do it so i was definitely inspired by lael who was our guest last week and very thankful that she had planted that seed for the idea of the jarmans in my head
2: that's Lail Wilcox. That was a very inspiring episode. And so if you haven't listened to that, definitely go back and our mailbag, which will be coming up here in a little bit, talks a little bit more about Lail Wilcox and that hashtag inspired by Lael, um, uh, campaign, I guess, that we started that you started last week. It kicked off with your uh, five days of jarmins.
0: Which ended up being around 90 miles of total running, is that right, yeah. in five days? Yeah, so it was about 90 miles of running, which meant, Haley, that a couple days later, so I did run hard, but I also, for people who think that I only run hard and do hard things all the time, that's not true, I do a lot of recovery activities as well, and I am, like, very quick to take it easy when necessary, and I felt like doing five days of Jarman somehow gave me, like, narcolepsy. I was falling asleep, like, all the time, and I was very, very tired human being, um, in those days after. So I was very excited that I could take the hiking option for our Smash Fest Queen virtual race on Sunday. But I saw a video that you created a 5K, which like was almost like a Jarmin 5K. You like went straight up and then straight down something. I was so excited for this. I was like, how did this not get on my radar?
2: I know this, maybe I could say I was like hashtag inspired by Alyssa hashtag inspired by Lail by all of you. Originally when this smash fest queen 5k, this virtual race idea came up, my first thought was to do a completely downhill 5k. Cause I just want to see how fast I could go totally downhill. But then I was actually like a week ago running on one of my favorite trails. And I realized that running up and down this, triple tree mountain, which is, I don't know if it's actually even called a mountain, but it's a really popular trail. And I realized it was going to be about five kilometers to run up and down it. And I have never actually run it really hard. I, I trained a lot on that course when I was getting ready for CIM, which I know sounds funny because that's like a downhill slash fat flat marathon. And I did a lot of uphill up and down running, but I did it for strength and for endurance and as you know i do think that there's some major value in in running uphill and downhill and even kind of to the extreme sometimes yes sometimes you do have to do it do it sparingly when you can give yourself plenty of recovery time because especially, you know running fat hard downhill can um leave you a little bit more sore and fatigued than normal but anyway i was back out there i haven't been for months because it has been fairly snowy and muddy and um i just have been avoiding it but i was there about a week ago and i was like you know what i want to do this i want to run up triple tree as fast as i can and then run down as fast as i can and um i also i it was mother's day it was a mother's day 5k so i was like how can i get my mom involved and i was like oh mom you can film me <laughs> which it's probably not what every mother wants to do, but my mom is pretty awesome, so she came out. My dad actually came out as well. So I had two kind of spotters on the course who were going to film me. And um because it, you know, that adds another bit of challenge and I also just wanted to show how beautiful it is out there. And we went really early. Luckily it gets light out early here, but it was kind of my I wanted to go earlier and my mom was actually like, "No, nah, I think like we got to be worried about animals when you're too early." <laughs> So, um, there have been some moose and some bears sighted in that area, and those aren't really animals I want to deal with this time of year. So we started fairly early and I was the only one on the trail and it was so cool and it was much harder than I expected. I don't know why I thought it would, I, I mean, a 5k is never easy. It's just over quick, but I ended up running 26 minutes and 25 seconds for a 5k, which doesn't sound like very fast, but I was really pumped at that time it was it was a really hard challenge but that was what i wanted right now that's what i needed was a really hard effort and it was so beautiful and so fun and i added music to that track though so that you couldn't hear me breathing super loud i tried to kind of cover it up but um but it was a fun experience and i this is my first virtual race because i did kind of take a, a break after trials and i haven't been in the best physical shape and I love the community of it. I actually really loved it. And I've had some other athletes do virtual races and I've heard you talk about, you know, the Yeti challenge and some virtual type activities and, I think there is something to it. So I hope to do some more virtual races in the next, you know, until, until real races come back again and, and really embrace the, the challenge of them the, the feeling of going hard. And then that community that you get when you look and see what other people have done and you're texting with friends, even if they didn't even race the same distance, it's pretty cool to, to have
0: that community piece again. I love it. Yeah. And that the video looked really cool. So if people haven't it's it's like your it's not in your story, right? It'll be there. People can go back and watch. It's on my actual Instagram post. Instagram TV. It was uh, was like Instagram
2: (laughs) T V and yeah, it was it was a little I mean, I'm actually very impressed with how it came together because I accidentally deleted all of the GoPro footage. My cinematography skills are 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 rough. Or I don't know what. That's not even cinematography. That's just like basic, like electronic
0: skills. It's okay. I was planning on taking a lot more footage of Jarman's like during the days than I did because like every time I would get there and I'd be like, I'm not carrying my phone. Like this is an extra like eight ounces or whatever. However much of how much does a phone weigh? It was too much is the answer to be carrying up that many feet of elevation every day. So. Um, there's only one One repetition One lap of the 15 That I carried the phone Up to the top So that I could take Some footage up there um, But Haley I now have an idea For when we're allowed To see each other Ever again And you make your plans To come visit me In Charlottesville um, Downhill 5k On Jarmins, Boom It's like the perfect that's distance right, cause That's
2: right that's that's long enough. I know my hill was only, it's like a mile and a half up. And so maybe I should, that would be, except it's trail, right? Like that's, it's a gravel I was road. channeling
0: you. It's a gravel road. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's a little
2: bit better. Cause I was channeling you on the downhill of coming down triple tree. I was like, cause I remember running with you on trails like years ago and you were giving me tips on like keeping my weight forward. And, and cause that is the downhill trail running is definitely a skill that I have not mastered, but I'm working on. So I, um, I was definitely inspired by Alyssa during that race and Alyssa, I also uploaded it to Strava. I don't do that that often, but after you had talked about your Strava segments, I was like, I just wonder,
0: you know, and um, did you get it? Did you get no a segment? Is there a segment?
2: I <laughs> There's a segment on the climb. I think there are other segments. No one's done a 5k. I think I might have set the fastest known time for the triple tree 5k because I might be the only person who's ever done that. But um, there is a segment on the climb and queen of the mountain right Yay!
0: here. Doesn't it feel good? <laughs>
2: It does. Cause there were some fast women on that, on that list. And also I hope someone goes out and beats it. Like that is like, now I feel like this little bit of ownership and I'm like, ah, someone needs to go out and beat that time because it's,
0: it, it can, it's beatable. It's beatable. Especially if you're not like yelling at your dad, like turn the camera the other direction. Oh, I love it. Well, that is awesome. And I look forward to uh, I think I saw something actually that Smash posted that said like stay tuned for future virtual events. So we'll we'll just have to keep an eye out for what could be next and then maybe we'll come up with more fun challenges for ourselves to mix into those. But Haley, I also had an exciting week because I finally got back in the water. Alyssa, where? So I am very lucky. I had a friend who has a backyard pool and it makes very easy non-contact access where I can basically drive up. I wear my wetsuit over so that this like my friend doesn't even have to come outside and see me or like zip me up or anything. I just wear my wetsuit over, hop right into the pool and can start swimming in this really lovely 16 yard backyard pool and it is a ripe temperature of 60 degrees (laughs) and it Haley I I think I've said on here like I don't really miss swimming blah 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 like it's I could take it or leave it but like I got out of the pool the first time and I was like I miss swimming my body has missed swimming more than maybe my mind has um it felt it just felt like I don't want to rub it in Haley but it felt so good (laughs) and like you know how cold water also feels good like just on when you're like achy and tired you've been doing a lot of running the compression of like that cold water it it was really nice so I actually was able to put to really good use the form swim goggles in this situation too because you can actually customize the length of the pool that you're swimming in so I'm doing a workout where like I warm up for about 10 minutes and so it'll actually like count my distance in my laps and I just program in 16 yard pool and then I don't swim like that forever, though, because I would get too dizzy and like lose all sorts of count anyway, like of what I was even thinking I was doing. But um, so I have tether. So I like do the ankle strap tether to the side of the pool and I swim for time. And the form swim goggles are awesome for the situation because I never have to look up. I'm just seeing my time counting. In front of me and I know how long I do my interval and then I take a little rest and it counts my rest and then I go back um so I I don't know maybe I'm switching over to like a tether pool swimmer because these workouts are like flying by way faster than workouts in the pool ever have that's for sure so I'm I'm really enjoying this newfound like tethering tether swimming tether wetsuit mini pool swimming
2: I, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you in your mini pool and your form goggles. And I've always wanted to use the form, swim goggles in open water. I know that they don't necessarily calculate the distance in open water, but the time part, because when I've swum open water, I do a lot of workouts based on time and I'm trying to look at my watch and sometimes the water's a little dark and you can't necessarily see it and you're trying to go hard or go easy. And, um, I definitely think that that is, is an area where they could be, very beneficial, but apparently also in 16 yard pools that, um, you know, for, they can, they can help count, which that is like the data you want, right? When you're in a 16 yard pool, you're like, how many
0: yards did I swim? I need this information because it's, it's impressive. It's a badge of honor. That's for sure. But form swim has been a great supporter of the podcast. And so if you are like me finding yourself in these weird swimming situations or getting ready for open water swim um, we do think they're going to be super useful for that as well. So head to formswim.com and check those out there. Alyssa, last week during our outro,
2: I did sort of throw it out that people should um, write into our mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com, and tell us what they were doing that they were inspired by Lael Wilcox. The, I kind of did the tongue-in-cheek hashtag inspired by Lael because her, her, her storytelling was very inspirational. And we talked about how you were inspired to do your five days of Jarman. And I was actually, I was going into that interview. I remember I was having kind of a rough day when we did that. And then I came out of that interview feeling so good. So hopefully everyone listened to that. But I heard we have some people who wrote in that said
0: that they actually were inspired by Lael. We did Haley. And it's been awesome to read through these. And I picked out a couple to highlight here instead of our traditional mailbag questions. But We had an email come in from Peter, who was inspired by Lael, and he was talking about how this um, inspired him to finally put into motion an idea that he's had. And so it is, um, if you head to runthroughthenight.org, basically Peter put into motion a kind of fundraising run for himself. So he's going to be the one running through the night for eight hours on June 20th from 9.22 p.m. until sunrise. Um, his goal is to get 80 kilometers in those eight hours. But he's just going to run the eight hours and run through the night. And he's asking for donations to raise money to support Shelter Movers, um, in, which is a nonprofit in Vancouver and Shelter Movers was founded in 2016 and it is a survivor centered free moving service that has been able to help nearly 1000 households safely relocate without losing belongings when they are in a situation of domestic violence. That's really cool.
2: I think I looked did actually just check out run and I saw that Peter's already raised more than $3,000. This is amazing! What a um, cool story and inspired by Lael. So good luck to you, Peter, in your fundraising and that virtual ultra. You're gonna definitely have a lot of people cheering for you on that one.
0: Haley, we also got another email from Andrea or Andrea. I'm not quite sure which one it is, but she lives in. This great place called Saskatchewan. I keep saying this name over and over because it's just like it's one of those names everyone probably thinks Alyssa's gonna mess up, but I just nailed it. And so she was inspired by Lale because she has always thought about doing these lake loops um around where she lives. So it's a two point three mile loop. So she's going to be tackling a, She might even go to a seven day challenge Which would be wild And do that would end up being like Almost 65 miles of running in the week Which would be big And so I'm just super pumped I think my, looking back I can confirm to people that this is a good way to do a challenge I, I think these sound reasonable <laughs> Um, To build through five to seven days Andrea I think you can do it And I just think that this is really cool To know that she's going to be cruising around the lake And I'm going to be thinking of her doing it She's gonna
2: run one loop around the lake the first day, two loops the second day, up to seven loops on day seven. Well, we're
0: kind of now pushing her into it. She mentioned seven. She like was it kind of sounded like as she was writing to us, she was like, maybe I could do seven. And so now I'm saying, like, do seven. That would be so cool. But five is good too. Either way, we're really excited that you got inspired to do either option. This
2: can be hashtag inspired by Lael, hashtag endorsed by Alyssa. So tense. if anyone else has more challenges, feel free to write into our mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us about your challenge that you're doing. And thank you for listening to both Andrea and Peter and for sharing their stories. I mean, these are really inspiring. I'm going to have to figure out something I can do for five days. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> my first thought goes to like food. Like, what can I eat one one day? That kind of thing. But um, if anyone does have any normal questions um, I don't know what constitutes normal, but any triathlon on sort of endurance sport questions that you'd like Alyssa and myself to take a stab at, our mailbag again is ironwomenpodcast at gmail dot com. And we do take those kind of questions as well.
0: And Haley, can you tell us a little bit about our
2: interview for today? Today, we are talking to Chelsea Sidero. So Chelsea finished fourth at last year's 70.3 World Championships. And Alyssa, it was only her fourth ever 70.3. Fourth in the world in her fourth 70.3. That's incredible. So we D about that incredible race in France and her history in sport, which includes time as a professional runner and she was actually racing for a spot in the, Olymp- the U.S. Olympic team just four years ago, 2016, going for a spot in Rio on the 10K in the track. So Chelsea tells us about the many highs and a few lows of her world-class athletic career. And really, this career, Alyssa, is just getting started. So we'll have our conversation with Chelsea right after the break. As triathletes, we should all be committed to fueling our bodies with products we are confident in. At Iron Women, Noon Hydration is our go-to. Committed to clean hydration, a clean planet, and clean sport, Noon Hydration shares our values and we are proud to use Noon Hydration on and off the race course.
0: Plus, it tastes good! My favorites are the Watermelon Noon Sports Tabs, Citrus Mango Noon Endurance, and then warming up some Noon Rest before bedtime. Noon Hydration offers the Iron Women community a 30% discount at noonlife.com with the code Women. That's N-U-U-N life.com with the code Women.
2: Hi Chelsea, welcome to the Iron Women podcast.
0: Hi ladies, thanks
2: so much for having me on. So many of us in the triathlon world know you as a middle distance or 70.3 athlete and I believe your history in sport has been focused on racing shorter distances but a recent Instagram post of yours features a 125-mile bike ride. So have we all underestimated your range? <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I don't know.
1: My undertaking of that distance was not something that I necessarily had like a ton of confidence in completing. So I surprised myself a little bit, actually. I don't know if I'm like quite ready to tackle the really long stuff at this point but I think it was a good challenge for me like I'm trying to use this period of time to develop some new skills and so that was um an AFD as I like to say or area for development um yeah but it was a fun it was a fun uh, outing we have like such amazing roads here in Marin County um and so I like didn't ride the same road twice just did this basically like massive loop um so it's kind of like a vacation on your bike for a day
0: I love that. I love the long <laughs> rides, actually. So, yeah, <laughs> I can get I can get behind encouraging you to keep those happening. Um, but a few weeks ago, we actually saw you finish second to Lauren Brandon in Ironman's virtual race series, which is happening now. So in that, you raced a 40K bike race on your trainer in your kitchen. So what did you think of virtual racing?
1: Yeah, it was really fun, actually. I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't honestly super excited about it. I was excited about the opportunity, but I didn't think that it would be that riveting of a race experience to race like from my trainer in my kitchen, we live in the Bay area in an apartment. And so when I set up my smart trainer, it's in the kitchen. And so like racing from my kitchen didn't seem that exciting. However, it was actually really fun. And the way that they set up the race was actually based on preems. So it was less about like the overall, just like winning the race and more about these kind of challenges built into the race. And so there were these like shorter time trial efforts where we really like one ed, and um, I was able to push a lot more power than I have been just out in training or like when I'm training by myself on the trainer. And so that was really fun. And I think was a great reminder of how much I love competition. Like I really live for those head to head battles. And I think that's why I love triathlon so much is it's not so much about like how fast do you swim bike or run like because courses are so different it's not so much about like your PRs or whatever as it is in running it's about like competing and so this was just a really fun reminder for me at least that I love to compete.
0: Did you find it distracting like was your setup I've seen it with some people have it seems like in their ear and some people maybe have like a partner or someone around to like relay to them like what the people are saying kind of like did you have one or the other going on and was it distracting to have that kind of happening while you're trying to go really hard because like sometimes they're cracking jokes I feel like as you guys are trying to work
1: yeah no I got a total kick out of it actually like I had my airpods in and my husband was also there and they brought my coach Matt Dixon onto the broadcast and he was, like, making fun of me and, like, cracking jokes. So it was all fun and games. And I think the spirit of the VR series is more, like, entertainment and kind of bringing our community community together during this time. And so I felt like the mission was really accomplished with that. And I was able to, like, focus when I needed to on those, those preem segments. But,
2: um, yeah, I had a blast. What about how they're policing this. I am curious about that because they're talking about watts per kilogram. Do they have you calibrate in a certain way? Do they like have you step on a scale that they know is right? I mean, are these just like guesstimates and it's mostly just for fun?
1: I didn't have to go through any calibration process. I was only the second week in. So perhaps they have evolved. I know there have been some concerns with like the virtual, the whiff tracing that's going on right now. Um, So I don't, I don't know specifically like if people have been monitor- monitored since then. Uh, it's an interesting conundrum because like power meters read differently, you know, and smart trainers read differently. And so if I was like banking my entire career on uh smart trainer racing, I'd like be kind of stressed about it, I suppose. <laughs> but I don't know. Like I'd like to think that people aren't intentionally like lying about their weight on this stuff. Like, there's no real reason to cheat in any in any of this from my perspective, um, but
2: who knows? I, I too hope we don't end up in a world <laughs> where we just race in our smart trainers in the kitchen. And I love riding the smart trainer, but uh, so we we talked to your training partner Sarah Pianpiano a few months ago, and it does seem like you're an athlete who thrives while training with a squad or a training partner, usually not in your kitchen. So how have you been handling social distance training?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I like certainly miss a lot of the structure that is provided to me when things are quote unquote, like normal. Like I see my coach several times a week and uh, I train with purple patch fitness and that includes a lot of amateur athletes. And so like I interact with a lot of amateur athletes at swim sessions. And, um, when we used to have like bike classes at a, a place in San Francisco, uh, So my training was, of course, like much more social, but I'm just trying to find new ways to, um, push myself. And I think, um, looking for areas to develop rather than just kind of like waiting for this to be over. Like, we really don't know what things are going to look like on the other side of this. And I think it'd be easy to like, just sit back and like, um, wait for a race to be put on the calendar and then like get really serious about training again. But once I was able to kind of like recommit myself to working on areas where I can improve, I had like an easier time, an easier, um, time wrapping my head around, like really focusing on training again. I don't know if that was super clear.
2: (laughs) No, it is. But I also want to ask about one of those AFDs, those areas for development that you mentioned, is it's one of those like videography filmmaking or talk show hosting cuz i think you and sarah just announced you just made an announcement along those lines We
1: did. We did.
2: I've had we've had a little bit more
1: free time i would say and my creative juices have been flowing and sarah and i convinced pearl patch fitness to help us launch a live talk show. It's called Wad Bombs and Wonder Women which was like The name was partially inspired by the Watt Bomb drop that they do on the VR2 or on the VR racing. Um, But we are just excited to give people a little bit of a glimpse into what it's like for two kind of top level female pro triathletes to train together. I think there aren't a ton of examples of uh, athlete, Ironman athletes at least at our level, who are like really competitors but also um, so involved in each other's daily life and training. And we're both pretty intense and super competitive, but we think that we do a good job of supporting each other and empowering each other to find out what's possible. And we have a lot of fun along the way. And so we're excited to share that with uh, our future audience. And it will be on Instagram TV. Is that where people can watch it? So right now it lives on Purple Patch Fitness through their like education hub offerings. And you can subscribe to that for I think $25 a month. And you get access to like all of Purple Patch's database of like education materials and videos and live classes. Um, but we are going to be like expanding that to a more accessible, more accessible options for um, for whoever wants to watch. So we'll be like announcing more about that on our Instagram but we will be rolling out. We, so we've recorded four four shows already that we um, beta tested with Pearl patch and <laughs> we'll be releasing those um, in the coming weeks on Instagram TV.
0: I love it. Beta testing. This is like the real <laughs> deal. You really are going all in on this. So well, think- we
1: told, we told Matt, yeah, we told Matt uh, our idea and he came back to us and he was like, I think it'd be really fun. And people would go for it, but if you're going to do it, you have to do it right and be professional about it and like have your shit together. So, so we've been giving it a go.
0: Nice. Well, people can keep following you to watch for (laughs) more details on that for sure. And Chelsea, we do want to talk about your background now. So, um, we believe you grew up playing soccer and, but you ultimately ran collegiately for the university of California at Berkeley. So what went into that decision? Like, was there a switch over at some point or how did you, did you decide to go for running
1: as far as my switch over from soccer to yeah so I I grew up playing lots of different sports I'm from Davis California um, which is a small university town outside of Sacramento and it's a really great safe place to grow up and I did like summer swim league and I took dance and played soccer and I was always very competitive but I didn't necessarily like love the process of being a soccer player like I loved the games and I loved like racing other people up and down the field but I didn't like to go juggle or like practice on my own and I my dad was a serious recreational runner he's from Boston and he was always training For the Boston Marathon, and I would go out on my bike and bike with him during his training runs. And eventually that kind of evolved into me doing short runs with him, and he really encouraged me. I think he was excited about the idea of us kind of running together. And so I tried cross country and track in junior high school, and I was pretty successful, but I did not like it. I was just like so paralyzed by, like, I don't know, this fear of not performing or like living up to how well I thought I should do and actually quit running in 8th grade cuz I was like this is just too much this is too much pressure it's not really that much fun to go and run for hours like I'd way rather go play soccer with my friends and I think I got talked into trying out for the cross country team my freshman year of high school and trying out for cross country doesn't really mean anything besides just showing up for practice because everyone makes the team <laughs> But I started running pretty well, and I made the varsity squad my freshman year, and I loved the team aspect. like That was the first part that I fell in love with. I loved having friends that were juniors and seniors in high school. I thought it was the coolest thing, that I like had this great group of girls that really embraced me, and we were pretty competitive, and we had this big goal of making the state meet, which we were able to do. And then my freshman year is when I started getting really competitive with myself and my own goals and winning and realizing that this was actually something that I was pretty good at. And I made this big goal of breaking five minutes in the mile, which was something that I thought would be like really cool if I could do by the time I finished high school. And I ended up running 454 in the mile my sophomore year of high school. And that's like a pretty competitive time for a high school athlete and I think once you start hovering around that five minute mile barrier is when you start getting letters from different colleges and so I didn't really put two and two together that running could take me to college once I started getting letters from universities to be honest with you I didn't really know that I didn't really know much about collegiate athletics or even that like professional running was a thing I don't think I knew you could be a professional runner until I actually
2: went to college. And so your collegiate running included a few great results. You were an All-American for the Golden Bears, but you also dealt with a lot of injuries. Can you give us some insight on Division I collegiate running and how you managed all of those injuries? Well, I don't think I managed them very well. So I am maybe like
1: a better person to ask what you shouldn't do. But, but I, I kind of showed up to Cal my freshman year, like guns blazing, I was the top runner on the cross country team by the end of my freshman year. And like two weeks after our last race, I got my first stress fracture in my tibia. And that kind of sent me down this like injury spiral that many of us go through when, you know, you come back too fast from an injury and you re injure something, you injure something else. And I wasn't taking great care of my body. I think I, I, got into this cycle of really, like, under-fueling myself and kind of always rushing back and being in spikes on the track way way too often Um, and, like, going to parties in a boot. So just, like, (laughs) really, um, like, not living the lifestyle of an athlete or of someone who wanted to be a competitive athlete. And I didn't really get healthy, honestly, until my, I think... Towards the end of my fourth year and wasn't able to put down the kind of results that I knew that I was capable of until my my fifth year of college when I ran. I had like a couple moments of brilliance where I was able to convince myself that I should or I could pursue running after college, but it was it was a pipe dream at that point.
0: And so you did, you graduated from college in, in 2012. So that was the end of the, the fifth year, I'm guessing, because you had decided to run professionally. So yeah. what makes someone like a professional runner in triathlon? We have our elite license that we get, you know, is it a contract that you're working with a company? How is that determined with running?
1: It's definitely a loose, <laughs> a loose term. When I graduated from college, I had just moved in with my then boyfriend, now husband, and I'd had a couple like really solid results. And we were totally just kids, but somehow we decided that it would be a good idea for him to work three jobs and me to just (laughs) run full time, (laughs) which like in retrospect is kind of ridiculous because I wasn't joining a professional group. I did not, I was like well away from being offered any sort of contract but I did work a little bit with an agent, and I started working with my then coach, her name is Magdalena Boulet, and she was an Olympian in the marathon, and she had coached at Cal my first couple of years there. And she was able to keep me healthy, and she was still training full-time herself, so I just followed her around like a puppy, and did everything that she did, and a couple of months later, I won my first national title. And I think I made like 12 and a half grand and I was like, sweet, (laughs) I'm set. Um, But I didn't sign my first like endorsement deal with a shoe company until a year after I graduated from college. So it was definitely like a paycheck to paycheck, just trying to like um, make money at road races or wherever I could, you know, there's not a lot of money in... Like, if you go race at the Peyton Jordan Invitational at Stanford and you run 14, 15, and a 5K, you don't get paid for that. Like, you might get a bonus from a sponsor, but, you know, professional track athletes go to all these really high-level track meets and they pay their way there and they don't, like, make prize money. It's all about running fast times to qualify for other races, and I was fortunate enough actually – to get in a couple of diamond league races my first year on the circuit. And so that was like great for my kind of profile and making some money. But, um, unless you're a professional marathoner or you're like consistently making us, um, national teams, it's like a really rough, it's, it's tough. Yeah.
2: And so you had that that year, that late 2012 to 2013 season, that seemed like a dream. You won two U.S. championships. You set PRs in all these different distances. You did get a shoe deal with Saucony. And, but then the injuries came again in 2014 and 2015. And I believe you ended up moving from Northern California to Greenville, South Carolina and joining the Furman Elite Professional Team. So can you tell us a little bit about that move and what it was like to run with an elite squad versus that collegiate running environment?
1: Yeah. So I actually didn't start training with Furman until right before the Olympic year in 2016. I bounced around to a couple of coaches. I had like such a strong bond with Magda, the woman I was telling you about. And I had bought in like so completely to her philosophy that I had a really hard time working with other coaches. And I really like, I really felt that I needed to be in a performance environment that was like really immersive where I was training with people who were better than me or I had consistent training partners, but I had, I had a hard time finding like the right coaching fit and the right environment and the right kind of training group for me. And I kind of like went to Furman as a last ditch effort right before the Olympic year in 2016, because I thought that that, would provide me like the resources and, and like training partners to make one, like a push to qualify for the team. And there were parts of it that I really loved. Like, I love training with other people. I love training with people who are faster than me, but I'm also, I'm, I'm pretty intense, I think. And so I have a hard time shutting off when I am like, like 24, seven immersed in a competitive environment.
0: And so, like you said, that year, or that time frame was, like, super critical, right, leading up to the Olympic year. And you were very public in stating that your goal was to represent Team USA in in Rio. So you ran the 10K at those trials, and you finished 19th in an event where the top three women get on the Olympic team. So can you just tell us a little bit about that race for you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was a pretty heartbreaking race. I – my, like, preparation that year – Didn't go well, and I like struggle with a couple of injuries. But I think more than anything, I just didn't show up like mentally ready to go, and I didn't bring it that day. And I had a long time to think about it. Like, when your race doesn't go well from a few laps into a 10K, you have like a long time. 25 laps on the track is like a long time (laughs) to live with something that's not going well especially when you're in Hayward Field with like the stands filled. So it was pretty heartbreaking and I was like pretty defeated after I walked off the track and my contract was up at the end of that year and I didn't really know what the next steps for me would be and if I had a future in running anymore if there was going to be a place for me if I was going to be able to make a living anymore and I decided that I would train for a marathon because I thought if I could pop a good marathon time by the end of the year, maybe at like CIM or something, I could find a new contract, but I like quickly injured my Achilles within a couple weeks. And, um, I remember this moment we were in Flex. my husband and I were in Flagstaff and I was just like, what have I done? Like, I have no idea where my life is going and he was like yep uh I think you're <laughs> he was just like really I can't remember the exact words that he said to me but he's like a very empathetic compassionate guy and he just looked me in the eye and he was like yeah like this is not good we're gonna need to like do some serious reevaluating because um like things are not looking promising right now
2: so, you, you, but you wasted no time literally diving headfirst into triathlon after that moment. So, I believe you joined coach Paulo Sousa's Southern California based triathlon squad. You won your first amateur race and you earned your pro card like one or two races later. So, when you think back to that conversation that you and your husband were having, did you expect things to come together so fast in triathlon?
1: No, 100% no. Like, when we had that conversation, I, triathlon wasn't even on my radar. I had been a fan of triathlon. Rini and I actually had a mutual sponsor and I had been a fan of hers for a couple of years because my coach uh, was a VP for this sponsor and I had just like followed her career. And of course, like she's such a big deal and an incredible athlete. And so I was purely a fan. And then one of my college coaches had coached Gwen Jorgensen at Wisconsin and so I'd been hearing about Gwen and her whole progression. And I started watching the WTS circuit because it was so exciting. And the American women were very competitive to medal in Rio. And so I just was totally intrigued by that storyline. But I didn't, I did not have triathlon on my radar. Um, my husband and I were watching the triathlon on TV in Re- like for the Rio games. And he looked over at me and he said, I think you should try that. I think you'd be really good at it. And I just laughed And I said, that's the most ridiculous idea you've ever had. I could never do that. But he set me up on one of his old bikes and we started riding together and I really loved it. I was injured so I couldn't run, but I was getting that like similar runner's high from riding hard as I would if I did a hard running workout, which surprised me. And then I joined a master's group and I had some swim backgrounds, like a little bit of familiarity to the water. And I was just getting better like every single practice as you do when you're new to something and you like get little tweaks to your technique. You just like get exponentially faster every time you get in the pool because you're starting at like such um, like a slow pace. (laughs) And so that like progress was fun for me. And then I started reaching out to like various people who I knew had some connection to triathlon and was eventually – directed to Paulo and I went and visited his squad. And I want to say like October of 2016. And then I moved to San Diego in December.
0: And so how would you compare that early time of being a pro triathlete to the early time of the pro running career?
1: Oh, goodness. I don't know. I've never thought about that, actually. The really fun thing about starting out in triathlon was that I I already knew how to kind of like build an infrastructure in my life to like pursue something at a high level. Like I already knew how to be a professional athlete. Like I had the discipline and I had um, the work ethic of course. And so like with having those tools and then being immersed in this environment where I was around all these like incredible athletes... I just was like a sponge and I was learning so much every day and um like improving so quickly so it was pretty fun
0: was the intensity you talked about with like the Furman group and kind of that one being one of the factors that you know for you matters in terms of how you're fitting in with a squad like did you reevaluate that as you were going to another squad or is that like Chelsea is an intense person and that's there to stay (laughs) no matter what and that just happened to fit with Paulo's group
1: It was definitely like a very serious environment. And so I think that was a natural fit initially. I think where I got into a little bit of trouble was a year, a year and a half in when I had like made certain decisions, my husband and I had made certain decisions where like he, his job was in San Francisco and I was training in San Diego. And so we'd like made these decisions for our life so that I could pursue this dream and that had never those sort of things had never really felt like sacrifices to me when i was running but i was like approaching my late 20s and i had this like epiphany uh after a race my last itu race actually where i i felt like i was starting to like sacrifice the most important relationships in my life for this pursuit and um I had, like, lost track of myself a little bit and, um, like, the place that I
2: wanted sport to have in my life. And we should mention, I think that last IT race was actually a World Cup win in Mexico. (laughs) Is that right? That's right,
1: yeah. It was a pretty, like, interesting period. I had been working, like, really hard for a result like that because I thought that I needed that to kind of, like, buoy me on to the WTS and then um, ultimately like earning a spot to represent the US at the Olympics. And I expected to feel this like incredible elation and pride and excitement that like finally achieved a goal of winning a World Cup. And instead I crossed the finish line and I was in Mexico and my family wasn't there and my husband wasn't there. And I felt like really lonely and kind of empty. And it's not how I wanted to feel after like a big moment like that. I wanted to be able to share it with the people that matter to me and who care about me. And I kind of like realized that I, I had like been pursuing this thing without the people in my life that are most important.
2: So you did decide to abandon draft legal racing and change coaches. Were you, was it, or was it hard to give up on that Olympic dream?
1: It was hard for I think a couple of weeks and it wasn't so I came to the conclusion that it wasn't really my dream anymore and I think I felt like a bit of a failure for letting go of that dream because that's what validates what was like validating to other people or what I thought was like legitimate to other people like when you tell someone that you're a professional track athlete and they say, Oh, have you been to the Olympics? And you say, no, like you haven't really made it. That's kind of like, it's kind of like the haves and the have nots. Like you're an Olympian or you're not an Olympian. And I think a really cool thing about social media and the way that we're able to tell our stories right now is we're kind of like evolving from that. There are all these incredible opportunities, like major marathons or Ironmans or all these moments that we can really celebrate beyond the Olympics. But I was still stuck in this place where I was only going to be successful if I was an Olympian. And so I think I had to kind of like break up with that dream and realize that that wasn't necessarily the only way to measure my success.
0: And as you jumped into the non-draft legal racing, you finished third or yeah, non. I'm saying that right, right? Yeah. For some reason, my brain is like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm you with fin- you. Yeah, okay, good. You finished third in your first 70.3 race in Waco in 2018, and then you won your second in Indian Wells a month later. So it seems like the pattern of early success is, like, holding true here. So does it feel that way for you? Like, did you see that happening when you were in the moment?
1: Um. Well, Waco was really was a really challenging race for me. Haley crushed Waco, uh, if I'm recalling correctly. But I – it was a – they canceled the swim, and so it was a time trial start on the bike, and I just, like, went out, like, a bat out of hell on the bike. I didn't really, like – I, like, made all the rookie mistakes that one does in their first 70.3. Like, my stomach shut down, like, an hour into the bike. And if your stomach was bad an hour into the bike I was 70.3 like that is not a fun situation to be in and I also got a penalty and I just like finished the race in so much pain because I couldn't really take nutrition down and I was like really pissed about the penalty but I was like super fired up and then my win in Indian Wells was just like totally validating for me like my family was there and I was so happy with my coaching situation and my training situation. And I was having a lot of fun in training. And I just felt like I, you know, like when you're in a place in your life where you just feel like you're at the right place at the right time. And you're like, it's not easy, but you're making decisions that are like so aligned with your values and you're doing what you're, you're supposed to be doing. And that's what I felt like um, in Indian Wells.
2: I will add that uh watching you cross that finish line in Waco I do remember that because you did not you didn't you didn't look super happy <laughs> and it was a bizarre race because you started ahead of me and then I never passed you but then somehow I finished ahead of you and I was so we were all so confused <laughs> it was so definitely that, confusing yeah cecilia was like oh she got a penalty and i was like Oh, that's why I never saw her. Cause I, yeah, that was like, it was, it was an experience. So to have that be your first 70.3, I mean, it was probably a good one to make some rookie mistakes, but, um, yeah. and still finish third. That's incredible. So after that Indian Wells win, you did earn a sponsorship from the prestigious BMC V or V fit. Did I say that right? Vfit. fit. Yep, Is That right. B-fit. B-fit? BMC B-fit. <laughs> okay. Yep. Uh, pro triathlon team and the triathlon world eagerly anticipated more of Chelsea Sidero. Oh. But we didn't actually see race uh, get on another start line until July 2019 when you won Santa Rosa 70.3. So was that break due to injury? It was. It was. I had this little tweak in my knee
1: about a, a couple weeks out from Indian Wells. And I didn't think a whole lot of it. I thought that I would do Indian Wells and I would have plenty of time over the holidays to recover. And that's not what ended up happening. I had this like pretty serious injury to my knee capsule and I wasn't able to run again consistently until I think May. And I had to take like several months off from running and biking even. And so that was definitely a frustrating period of time, especially after like having a big win and starting in this new sport. I thought like, oh, oh, like, here we go, things are kind of going my way, and, you know, like, I've sort of arrived, but I think the moment that, well, I find the moment I think those things is when um, things don't quite turn out how I expect. And so I certainly learned a lot during that, like, period of injury. I, I have, I think, some natural ability on the bike, but I hadn't really, like, developed, those cycling muscles, like my VMOs are really weak. And so when I got off the bike to run, I just like had some imbalances and weaknesses. And so, yeah, it was like definitely a long process of getting back to health and fitness and the whole deal.
0: But then you followed that win in Santa Rosa with a fourth place finish at your first 70.3 world championships. So if our math is correct, you managed to finish fourth in the world in only your fourth (laughs) 70.3. So some athletes get confidence from like racing a lot and having specific race experience to like allow them to take that into the next one and they build on that kind of thing. But that doesn't seem to be the case for you because you know, you hadn't really been racing. So where do you get that confidence from?
1: I get a lot of confidence from my training. I have a lot of trust in my like coach and the program that he writes for me. But I also, I think that I'm the kind of athlete that's just like brings a whole another level when I'm in a race environment. Like I was kind of saying earlier, I just like love those head to head battles. I love competing. And so I know that I'm able to like access a new level when there's like a starting gun involved. Um, but that being said, like the NICE course was very specific like it was a really unique event with the climbing and the descending. And I did, even though I couldn't like have the whole year of training that I'd planned for, I was able to like really hone on specific skills that I would need for that course. And so like, while I couldn't be running the run volume that I wanted to, I could like be working on my descending in the Marin headlands. And so I just like, After I kind of got over the initial disappointment of the year not starting out how I wanted it to go, I was really able, I think, to like refocus on the things that I could control and the things, the skills that I could work on and kind of like turn some weaknesses into strengths, uh, which I'm like, I think, most proud of from that race in Nice. Like, my preparation wasn't perfect and I wasn't what I wanted it to be. But I, like, devoted so much time to descending. Like, I wasn't a great descender at the beginning of the year, but I, like, really committed to that. And I think I was one of the best descenders on that day. Um, And so that's just, like, a testament to, like, commitment, I think, to a skill and commitment to improvement, uh, which any of us can do at any level.
2: So you're an athlete who's had a ton of success in her career, but also some breaks. And so while our current situation isn't exactly like a break due to injury, do you have any advice for our listeners for how to handle this time without racing?
1: Yeah, I think like I was just saying, this is a great opportunity, like a no risk opportunity to work on some areas for improvement. Like, there's no race on the horizon so you don't have on like in the near future so you don't have to be like really stressed about making a mistake in training you can try something new you can try something that you've never done you can like work on weaknesses that you might not have time to work on when you're um in like the thick of full training for a race and I don't think that you need to be like overly serious during this period of time I don't think you need to be like nose to the grindstone like super intense but I think if you can like focus on a couple of things that you want to get better at, you can emerge from this time to set yourself up to be a stronger athlete. Like you don't necessarily have to be like a brand new athlete when there are races on the horizon, but you can set yourself up with new skills so that when we do have something to focus on, you'll have new tools in your toolbox um, to be able to get to the next level.
0: Well, Chelsea, thanks so much for sharing your story with us today. We'll make sure to link to your social media in our show notes so that people can follow along and get more of Chelsea from Watt Bombs and Wonder Women, because I know people will be excited to hear more from that.
1: Thanks so much, ladies. Thanks for having me.
0: Iron Women is proud to be supported by Form Goggles in 2020. Form Goggles are the only swim goggles with a smart display that delivers metrics like split times, distance, pace, and more. And it's built right into the goggle lens.
2: You can also analyze your metrics outside of the pool with the Form Swim app, because what triathlete doesn't love data? Head to formswim.com to learn more about the Form Swim Goggles and pick up the missing link to your swim bag. Okay, Alyssa, I'm really desperate to be part of your Instagram takeover. Can you snap a picture of us right now recording this outro
0: and then post it on the Iron Woman Instagram story? Thank goodness you reminded me because I feel like that's what every good influencer should be doing. So all right, Haley. One, two, three. Nailed it.
2: All right. thanks for. You're such an influencer and I'm so glad I got to be part of
0: it. Thank you for bringing me along on this journey. And thank you to Chelsea for coming and talking to us this week. And to all of our listeners, of course, thank you for all your support. And don't forget to leave us a rating or a review on the podcast app that you're listening to. That helps us out a lot. If you can do that. Alyssa, continue
2: recovering from your inspired by Lael week last week. Inspired by Lael, endorsed by Alyssa, all the great things you have going on. And I look forward to chatting with you again next week. Bye, Haley.
0: You have been listening to the Iron Women Podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Taylor Mahan Rudolph. Thank you to our sponsors, Zilio Skincare,
2: Noon Hydration, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear, as well as the Live Feisty Patreon community. You can find websites and discount codes in our show notes or at ironwomenpodcast.com.